I had no idea what I was getting into. I had no idea what, if I was going to like it or not. I had no idea. I just knew that I was attracted to men. And I just knew that in order for me to experience this life, I had to do what I had to do, which was break up with my girlfriend, you know, let my friends and family know that kind of thing before I then went out and experimented. Imagine you're a teenage boy and you are attracted to men. You get a girlfriend, start dancing and move to another country. And then a few years later, you represent the LGBT plus community of your country of birth and also find out how toxic social media is. In this episode, I talked to Liam Reed. He was Mr. Gay New Zealand in 2020 and tells us how he discovered himself. This podcast brings you stories from and about people who stepped into the unknown. Stories about fear, uncertainty, the illusion of security or, I don't know, let's see what it will be about. My name is Katarina Bayer and I will host you on this journey into the unknown. First time in December 2015, I remember you were this shy ginger guy who was just on his way to Australia together with his girlfriend. Five years later, in 2020, you became Mr. Gay New Zealand, representing the LGBT plus community in New Zealand. Nowadays, you're hardly on any social media. You know, when recruiters ask you in a job interview, how do you see yourself in five years? I always thought that, ah, maybe you get the attitude of this candidate, but it, the question is a bit dull. So my question to you is, could you imagine five years ago all the turns that your life will take? Gosh, uh, no. I mean, yeah, outside of just sexuality as well, my life has had so many different um turns happen to it um as you said I went to Australia five years ago with my girlfriend as a ballroom dancer and I was working in a uh, in the hospitality field managing a fine dining restaurant and five years now I'm working um for a cosmetical skincare company uh having been Mr Gay New Zealand last year um, or bigger pardon in 2020 now. Uh, and I've had four boyfriends. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, to, yeah, I definitely didn't see it coming. Um, I, I knew back then that I was attracted to, uh, the male body. I didn't know how much I hadn't you know, uh, experimented or anything like that. Not until, 
um, 20, 2017, 2018, when I returned um, from Australia and broke up with my girlfriend. Um, and even that return was not foreseen. You know, that was, that was a move that um, sort of happened as a, um, a sort of like a keeping the peace between us. So, so yeah, moving back to New Zealand and, and coming out was, was a, a big experience. Um, and then, you know, I then moved to the UK for Borger and dancing yet again, but fell into a completely different field of work. Um, yeah, no, five. And I often think about that, you know, five, Five years ago, would I, would I, if I had told myself that I I would have been Mister Gay twenty twenty and um, and you know now working in a in a field of work that I find so rewarding, um, I would have said heck no. <laughs> Do you still remember the 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 time when it was really clear to you that that you're actually attracted to men? You know what? I thought about this recently and I actually started, I think it started when I was actually five or six, but did I realize what that was? No, not until I was about 16. I think, you know, when, when the world of pornography opened up for me and as it does most young people um, and And I think then I started to acknowledge it, but I also still didn't know, you know, and that's a big problem in, in New Zealand society from, you know, speaking from experience is we're not taught that that can happen potentially. We are now a little bit more, but, but, you know, eight, nine, 10, 10, yeah, 10 years ago, Nearly 11 years ago, I wasn't told that, you know, I wasn't told that a man might find another male-bodied human attractive. Um, and so, you know, until, until you start to realize and you have discussions with people and talks with people and you're, you know, uh, you go through these different, um, health classes and all that sort of thing, maybe then it starts to dawn on you that you could be, uh, a different, kind of sexuality but you know here yeah, I never I I, I I would say I identify I started to identify it when I was about 16 um, and then my first girlfriend came along when I was 17 and that completely obliterated that out of the water because all of a sudden I was like oh my gosh a girl likes me okay um, so you know and then it, then it got back seated until I was about 19. How much were you afraid how your close friends and your family react to your coming out? And was there any surprise in their reaction? Any reaction that, that really surprised you? Was I afraid? I don't think so. I, I think the most fear that I had had, because I had such a supportive friend network. So, you know, the, the biggest fear that I had actually were, was breaking up with my ex-girlfriend. That was the most, that was so challenging. And that was, it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life. Um, because not only was I breaking up with her, I was acknowledging this change that was occurring within me and, and a change that I did not know what was going to happen 
you know, like I didn't, I couldn't foresee the future. So that was my biggest fear. Did I, did I fear? Not really, because actually, quite frankly, I'd had, I'd had plenty of discussions with my closest friends beforehand. So about three weeks prior to breaking up with my ex-girlfriend, I knew that I was going to break up with her. And I'd had several conversations with different people who were coaching me through that decision and helping me understand what was going on in my body and in my mind and all of that sort of thing. So when it came down to it, um, after I had done that, I had no problems or trouble telling people that actually uh, I'm gay. And, 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 you know, I think that's quite privileged in today's day and age because, um, well, I think it's quite privileged in general, to be honest, not just today's day and age, but in general, um, because I, I really honestly feel like I didn't have it that bad. Um, and afterwards, mo- mo- the most common saying from people was, oh, finally, which pro- what, that pissed me off. Sorry, that that got me a little bit, uh, you know, um, a little bit, how do I say? Um, yeah, rubbed me up the wrong way a little bit because I was like, come on, guys, like I've always known, but I couldn't do anything about it, you know, like, so it was more of this frustration of, um, of, of, the the consequences rather than a fear of the of the consequences if that makes sense yeah but when you when you say like this this question or or this comment like oh yeah we have known it forever did did you really knew it long time or were you like still struggling within yourself that you actually are attracted to men I think I knew full well that I was attracted to men probably in, oh, thinking back, probably uh, 2013, 2014, I knew, like, I knew that I was attracted to them. Did I know how much? No clue. Um, And the penny fully dropped when... um, when I, I developed that crush for my best friend, that's, that's when the penny fully dropped and I was like, okay. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. And, and, and quite frankly, it, the penny was very close to dropping probably, you know, God, I would say maybe even one and a half to two years prior to that moment. It's just being given the chance and the thought space. And, and, you know, my experimentation with that side of things was, was very much, as I said, visually rather than actually experiencing it physically until the point where I feel like I'm a bit of a rare case because to these days, a lot of people experience their sexuality before they actually, you know, um, cancel their monogamy or before they actually, yeah, uh, check in with the parties that are involved in their intimate life that might be, you know, a heterosexual relationship and they'll go and experiment in, uh, you know, discreetly. Um, and, and, you know, I feel like I'm a bit of a unicorn in that aspect because I had no idea. I had no idea what I was getting into. I had no idea what, if I was going to like it or not. I had no idea. I just knew that I was attracted to men and I just knew that in order for me to experience this life, I had to do what I had to do, which was break up with my girlfriend, you know, let my friends and family know that kind of thing before I then went out and experimented. 
you know, when you said experimenting, I remember when, when I had my first sexual experience and it's really interesting, but you don't really have an idea what, what you do. So you having experience with women and then at a later stage in life, so you're not 15 or 16 or whatever. And then, you know, having this new experience, uh, again with, with another person that is actually your same sex, like wh how interesting was that for you and how scary was it? Um, it was, it was definitely interesting. I can, I can say that for a fact. Um, and, and, you know, because in New Zealand, they don't teach anything about homosexual encounters. And in fact, I can remember vividly, you know, very vividly, uh, our health teacher, we were, well, we, our health teacher went away on annual leave and we had a relief teacher come in. Um, and this was when I was, 15 or 16, you know, so when sexual activity really does start to pick up, uh, for young people, um, because hormones and whatnot. And, and I remember vividly the relief teacher saying to us, uh, you shouldn't be having anal sex because the anal, uh, tissue, um, of, of your, of your anus is, um, is not able to support the friction of, of a sexual encounter. And, you know, like that's quite, that's a very false, B quite damaging for those who are in, in anyone who is interested in anal sex. And it's, it's very misguided. And for a homosexual couple, uh, that, that tends to be one of the main modalities of having a sexual encounter. So for me, my education came from pornography. Um, you know, I didn't even talk about it with anyone. And that's quite risky because what you see on in pornography are actors who, you know, are not designed to enjoy the sexual encounter as much as they are to perform it. So it was very interesting for me. Um, I got... <laughs> I got very high praise, <laughs> um, um, but it was very interesting for me. Unfortunately, my, my first sexual encounter was, was with my, at the time it was um, just designed as a hookup, but it turned into being my first boyfriend. So as I say, it was very caring. It was very loving. It was very, um, it was somewhat honest, you know, I'd said to him, I'd never had anal sex before, but I had done stuff with a guy before. So I kind of was alleviating to him being like, I'm very inexperienced. Um, and he was very kind. And so that for me, you know, yeah, that, that, that for me set the tone and, you know, I later learned, gosh, hookup culture is, is definitely not a good uh, um, how do I say a good representation of what a healthy sexual life and a healthy sexual connection is. Um, I definitely learned that quite quickly. Um, but prior to that, however, um, yeah, it was, it was actually not, it was, it was fantastic, you know, and, and I recall, my coach, my dance coach at the time, uh, who lived in Nelson, um, in, in New Zealand, uh, when I had moved to the UK, him and his partner, so he was, he was, he was gay, is gay rather. And they would come over and, and, um, 
we would go to a city called Blackpool together because uh, that is where a massive dancing festival is every year. Um, several actually, um, but they would come over for, for the, the main one. And the, this was probably seven months into my homosexual journey. We reconnected over in Blackpool and they looked at me and they said, you know what? We, we, Liam, it's like you've been gay your whole life. There's no awkwardness about you. There's no, and I said, no boys, it makes perfect sense because I'm actually living my truth. So for me, it, it just, it actually flowed. And, and it, it, yeah. So it, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. What I find now with the sexual encounters is that I'm very strong in my sexuality and, and knowing what I want. So when I do have hookups and that sort of thing, I'm quite, you know, I guide the area. I set the tone of this, the, um, the encounter and I, and I make sure that it is a very loving and caring space because that is what I'm used to. And that is what I believe should be for sexual encounters. Then what you do within those realms can be any sort of what they say, mild to wild. But for me, the space must be full of respect. And, and, and we establish that very early on. And if it's not established, then I, I, I tend to leave. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, coming, coming back to the fact that, uh, you became Mr. Gay New Zealand in 2020. Mm. Um, you yeah. just shortly returned to New Zealand after living in the UK. And, uh, I know that the other applicants for this title were far more known to the community and had more followers on social media. One of the tasks you had to perform was giving speeches about what you want to do for the LGBT plus community. How did you manage through your speeches to touch so many people out there and actually win then in the end? I think, how did I manage to do that? So in all honesty, that was... um It was one aspect, you know, the, the people side of things is one aspect and the, the public voting and that sort of thing is, is one aspect of Mr. Gay New Zealand. It's not a huge aspect of Mr. Gay New Zealand. And I think in, in, in terms of popularity, I was, uh, because of my following, you know, I was a little farm boy, um, who had, oh God, I think I had like 400 followers or something like that on Instagram compared to like the, my next competitor had like 2000 and then the 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 one that was met, like the one that was said to win from the get go had over 10000 followers <laughs> you know so thank god it wasn't a popularity contest how i managed to touch so many people uh, well the platform itself is it's not it could be a lot bigger um and i i hope that it, you know i hope that it does grow to get a lot bigger um because it's a huge icon for the gay community. It could be. Um, and I, my messages were, were that of, you know, common knowledge to be honest with you. And I was just voicing, I was, I was, def I was harnessing and defining the mass commentary that was going on and I was giving it a sort of unified seamless message uh, that discrimination on any on any form 
should not be accepted. And I was highly critical of the gay community, believe it or not. Um, and I still am to this day because in our community, and I'm talking about the LGBTQIA plus community, so not just the gay community, but in the entirety of the rainbow community, there is so much discrimination that goes on between us. That is why those letters, you know, those letters exist to hopefully unify us, but what they do is they define us. And then as the acronym keeps on growing, they end up separating us. And then you find that the, that the L's don't, don't, you know, have certain, you know, certain far, radical um feminists don't actually like transgendered people and it just gets very so i was my message was <laughs> sort your shit out <laughs> because quite frankly we all need love and i think people really resonated with that um because my 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 message till this very day is if there was a hell of a lot more love present in people for themselves and for others and not love in terms of gushing over people, just acceptance, respect, you know, the, the basics that are well, the things that I think are basic and fundamental. If they were more present, then half, if not more of the issues that we face uh, as a community would be eradicated. And the other half would be far less uh, quarrelsome to deal with. There is one post you once had on, on Instagram on this topic and it, it says, being gay is far from easy. You get bullied all the time growing up for being gay. Mm. Then you get bullied by other gays for being a certain type of gay. You're too tall mm -hmm. or too short, too young or too old. Too skinny or too fat, too hairy or too smooth, too femme to be a top, too masked to be a bottom. And all this coming from an LGBT community that keeps saying, be yourself. So I was wondering, like, why is it so hard for others and also for ourselves to just accept who we are? We're not taught to in mainstream mm life you know and and what i find quite inspirational is most of my friends nowadays when i look back to you know hearing their family stories or growing up with them they are the families that were accepting and were very encouraging you know and i yeah i i think we we are so judgmental of each other and I, I actually genuinely believe that people don't quite know how to accept themselves, some, and those perpetuate onto others. And I think, I think what it is is fear of the unknown, which is a human trait, quite frankly. Um, and that human trait, when you see, when you're used to seeing people a certain way, you know, if we talk about from, from New Zealand, we always reflect on New uh, and European culture and how European culture um, is so much more in touch with their emotions in particular, you know, uh, Italian culture, French culture, that sort of thing. Whereas when we look at men in New Zealand, uh, 
that is definitely a problem here. Uh, and so we're always, you know, yes, we encourage people to um, be yourself, but what happens is once you truly acknowledge and, you know, start to define who you are and you start to realize, oh, I'm not actually part of the mainstream look when I want to really indulge on my innermost desires of how I would like to appear, how I would like to act, how I would like to gender myself, then you're met with, you know, confusion and you're met with uh, fear and you're met with, and that fear can manifest itself in terms of anger, avoidance, you know, from other members of the public and, and, and it's, it's challenging. It's so challenging, you know, and that's why I found my year as Mr. Gay New Zealand being one of the most challenging years that I've ever had because I was having to put myself into this limelight of I, I have to force my own unique individual sexuality and and gender and idea of myself out there uh because i want to be a guiding light for those that are um that are also wanting to experience that for themselves and and what i was met with you know was was a whole lot of tall poppy syndrome which is a, another uh problem within new zealand um where people who look at you they don't think to want to find out more about you they just make their judgment calls and often their judgment calls are not that positive and so that will distance them from you and me being a guy who had just come back from the united kingdom uh you know it was probably 10 months 10 months prior to winning mr gay new zealand i was no i was no one and then all of these, all of these people who were within the community that were aware of the competition were like, who is this guy? And, you know, where has he come from? And what is he talking about? And how can we accept ourselves? And, you know, and all that sort of thing. And, and, and it was challenging and it still is challenging. And it, it is, it is, it is a constant battle. And so my fight now is more about, not my fight, but my, my crusade now is more about acknowledging you don't have to do anything as long as you are happy within yourself and you are kind to others, love thy neighbor, <laughs> then, you know, then, then, then I think that you would make the world a better place and do what is within your parameters. You know, that's definitely something that I learned about myself is I, I need to drop that expectation of Liam, you must be this, you know, you, you have to be hyper yourself so that you can do this for so many other people because I ended up struggling myself. I went through a bit of a mental fatigue. So yeah, mm. it's tricky. It's tricky. Cause, cause what I was thinking is, you know, when you, you, when you try to find out who am I and then we, we, we think we have to have an identity, like I'm either heterosexual, homosexual, um, or bisexual. And then are you already bisexual because you once were attracted to the same sex and had like one encounter or does it just make you still, um, like, uh, heterosexual? And then people ask you, 
And you have to have an answer like, why do we actually want to be very, very clear? Like, this is my identity and I have to keep it forever. I never got this. I, I wouldn't know what to, to answer when people tell, uh, ask me like, so are you heterosexual or? Well, I think that's why they've defined a sexuality term as being pansexual, because my honest belief for 90% of the population, this is a very uneducated assumption, but something that has been, you know, just through trial and error and through talking with so many different people, I believe that a vast majority of us are on the sexuality spectrum of being pansexual, which means you actually have bisexuality refers to a binary of liking uh, men and women. Uh, it doesn't refer to non-binary people. It doesn't refer to, well, bisexuality essentially means you like two different types of sexuality, right? So you could have trisexuality, for example, but it's so under sexuality is becoming so undefined now, which it's fantastic that a lot of people that I know are defining themselves as being pansexual. And that's where I would put myself within that spectrum of pansexual. And what I know about my pansexuality is that I am highly attracted to men. I am still somewhat attracted to women. I know that I am attracted to certain types of transgender. I know that I am attracted to um, non-binary people as well. Um, it's it's something that I think the well, the reason that people want to put a label on it is because they 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 must know. That's what I was saying. You know, there's this fear of the unknown that eats at us. And so we have to continuously define it because, okay, then I can put you in that box. I know who you are. I'm going to put you in that box. You know, I once had a guy who, who was very into me. Uh, we were talking online and stuff and he was like, Oh, can you show me your Instagram? And I was like, yeah, of course. And so I sent him my Instagram and, and literally in the space of a minute, the entire conversation turned the other way. He told me, Oh, you're not my type. And I'm, I'm, and he blocked me and I was so gobsmacked and shocked and when I looked into it like and I thought about it I thought my Instagram is so hyper feminine hyper queer not just feminine but queer that he he was threatened you know he was threatened by his own sexuality being and rather than actually trying to get to know me as a human being uh and I've had that encounter quite a few times where people have looked at my social media and they've gone oh I don't want to get to know you because, da, da, da. and I'm like, well, A, that is your loss, but B, social media has no represent, there's very little representation of who I am as a person. Um, I want to come back to the social media uh, thing uh, topic in, in a second, but a mm. question before that, because when it comes to about knowing yourself and knowing your identity, I mean, this is self-development. And what, what, what was striking for me is that self-development for me is like detangling oneself. It's like a ball of wool that you untangle into a long single thread. Can Can you tell me what what do you do in daily life or, or what, or what did you do to find out who you really are? What was your process? 
Well, my ball of wool, Kate, has many different random strings in there. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's not um, just one. <laughs> it's not just one, no. But what I do to unravel that um, in my day-to-day now, um, I have a journal, which I am somewhat slack on using. But when I got into journaling, it was like I was uh, being my own psychologist because I would write down my I'd write down the good things about my day and I'd write down three things that I wanted to change about my day. And and they often referred to what I would call trigger points, you know, things that triggered me into feeling uncomfortable on a varying degree of mildly uncomfortable to, oh my God, I never want to experience that ever again. And I would write about those and then I would once they're offloaded off of my brain, I would then also write down my solution for them. And I found that it was such a great process of being able to unravel my ball of wool um, because I was, I was answering my own questions. That's what a psychologist does. When you sit there, they just ask you questions. They'll give you tools in order to process. But fortunately, I've got one of my closest and dearest friends is a psychologist and listening to how she, you know, how she talks about anonymously, of course, talks about her clients and the advice that she gives her anonymous clients. Um, and the odd thing where I've, I've had to put up my hand and say, help me. Um, and to also having my own personal psychologist and being highly in tune with my own body and what I'm aware about what's going on. Um, I found it was a great practice. And even if you're not or don't have any of those things or, or a different combination of those things that I've just mentioned, those support networks. I think it's a fantastic place to start because the worst thing that you can do for yourself is go to sleep with a full mind. And so I found journaling really good at the end of the day, probably left it a bit too late, you know, so I was always falling asleep while I was writing it. But I remember waking up in the morning feeling so much more clear headed and you know, I, I meditated a lot. I meditate still somewhat now, but, um, when I was going through my hardest times, I meditated a lot. Um, I listened to podcasts. Uh, I, I read this amazing book called A Man's Search for Meaning, uh, which is by an author called Victor E. Frankel. And it's about, him living through the concentration camps in Auschwitz and around there. And it just puts your life into perspective. And for me, he's from Austria, by the way. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He's an Austrian psychologist. It's a fantastic story. Um, and it, you know, like I read that book later on. I've actually, I read that book about well, halfway through last year. So, you know, and I was still going to a lot of trouble then, um, but it really helped me put my own life into perspective. And that's what I think. If you can find things to put your life into perspective, practice gratitude, find the things that you actually are happy about with your life. And, and it might just be one thing, but my God, cling on to it. Let it grow. You know, the aim, if I think you, if you can go to bed feeling happy, 
you know, I think that's, that's a pretty bloody good achievement for the day. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah. so happy that you mentioned, uh, journaling because next week I'll have an interview with a lady who really brings this into business and, and mm. writing down your thoughts, your fears and, and uh, helping people with sleep, um, problems as well. Because journaling yeah. is really an amazing tool. It is so amazing. Like, you know, it is, it is so amazing. And I feel like, you know, it should really honestly be considered as effective as going to the gym. It, 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 <laughs> and, and, and it, and it should be practiced as frequently as people tend to want to go to the gym, you know, at least three yeah. times a week. Um, but ideally daily, you know, journal and it's, and it doesn't need to be an hour. You don't need to. You don't need to come up with, you know, the, the longest fricking explanations about your day. If you've had a good day and you don't really have much to write about, you just say you've had a good day. If you've had a bad day and you don't want to write about it that much, just do that, you know, do what makes you feel comfortable. But I also really encourage people to capitalize on your good days. Don't just make your journal about your bad days. Make it about your life. Because it's it's going to help increase your vibration. It's going to help you understand when you if and when you decide to read back through your journal. It's a it's a life process. I'm going to sell my journal. Like I'm def once I finish my journal, I'm going to freaking sell it because I guarantee that a lot of other people are going through very similar modes. And you know we're all energy at the end of the day, and they're going through very similar modes of different just different styles. And yeah. Relating is such a good tool. Um, you said before you shared that uh, there were people who looked at your social media and had a, let's say, a very clear image for themselves um, who <laughs> you are. I, I recently posted some things on Instagram uh, about insecurities and fears that I have, and quite a few people reached out to me and said, like, "Oh, we we didn't expect that you are insecure about things." And I'm like, mm. you know, um, yes, there is so so much stuff like different versions of us like i was asking myself who am i when nobody is 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 watching and yeah. and how and that people i'm so happier when when people share some insecurities because sometimes you're like oh they have the the the, the same uh thing and then you want to get acknowledged for posts that you make where you put so much effort into it you you personally I mean, you're a known person and you shared quite a lot of private things on social media. Yeah. And, uh, some, some months ago, I, I saw that you're almost not posting anything anymore. Can you mm. share why you stopped, um, using Instagram and what your, what your take is on, on social media in general? Yeah, absolutely. I have a very, um, <laughs> I have a very bleak view of social media um, and, and bleak meaning um, not, not the most positive view of social media. Uh, and here's why. So it's a, it's a tool designed for control. Um, how it controls you is some very clever human beings have realized that humans um, are very envious creatures. And, and so when you, um, when you're, when, when you're posting or when you're seeing 
what people post on Instagram, you are literally only seeing it through the camera lens of that frame. That is literally it. And, and I remember last year I had this very vivid experience of, um, and the only experiences that I have are vivid, clearly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had this experience where I was at a festival and these three young, and, and there was this big, you know, pit of people dancing and going crazy. You know, and it was, it was fantastic. But the very back, I was sitting at the very back with my friends who were just taking a bit of a breather. And these three young girls, I imagine, I assume they're quite young. They looked like they were 17 or 18. Well, to be at the festival, you had to be 18. So they looked like they were 18. And they looked like they were having the most boring time of their life. Like they were moping around and just not really enjoying themselves. And then the middle girl taps the other two girls' shoulders and they both look at her and then they see that she's holding her phone up in front of her face and they all go into this beaming grin and their entire posture changes to, oh my God, I'm having the best time of my life. And then you see the flash and then literally two seconds after the flash, they all huddle around the camera and they go, oh yeah, it's good. And then they just go to dropping down and moping again. And I was like, oh my word, the universe has literally shown me the toxicity of social media. I the I can only post about the good things of my life. I have to tell everybody about the good things of my life. And it's it's just such a toxic uh experience because what it should be is celebrating your own life. What it turns into being is how shit is my life compared to others? And and I just don't believe like I've met people who are very strong mentally uh, and, and say to me, you know, I don't care what other people do. My Instagram is for me. And that's fantastic. And if they truly are living that experience and they're being truly honest with themselves, then by all means, social media probably isn't harmful for them, but it was very harmful for me because uh, I'm a person who, and I'll be, I'll put my hand up straight away and, and say, I do, t- I do, um, actively work on, but have a problem where, you know, I do judge myself based on others. And I go, oh, Liam, well, I used to a, a lot go, especially coming out into the gay community for the first time or, or really exploring my sexuality. And I was like, oh, what's going on? And how can I do this? And how can I do that? You know, and, and, and you, you social media is such a platform to be able to stalk other people and just find out way too much. And, and, and quite frankly, what that guy had done to me, I was actually subconsciously doing to other people by being like, who do you follow? Who do you know? Oh God, you follow 80 of my followers. So, you know, and they're all gay and they're all very good looking men. So you all must have slept together. You know, that's a common thought that is, rife throughout the homosexual community. And I just, yeah, I, I got, I realized it wasn't healthy for me and I stopped. And that was the best decision I've ever done for my life because what I see after that now, looking at how other people are on social media, um, literally my friend the other day made a post and I watched her make the post and I watched her take time to write the caption and put and to correct the photos and the images. And then, and then for the next, you know, hour they were analyzing 
oh, who's liked it? What have they said? I've got to reply to this. I've got to, and it's such a, such a demanding effort on your time for very little to no reward or the reward that you do receive is very fleeting. You know, I, I remember having such a terrible day one day last year. Uh, and that's what actually propelled me to getting a psychologist this particular day. It was Halloween. It was Halloween last year. And I was walking home and I felt so shit and so alone. The most lonely that I've ever felt, I think, in my life. And even though I had friends, you know, you just, you just couldn't shake the feeling of loneliness. And I put up this post on Instagram and literally within about a minute, I had over a hundred people like it. And this is for a person who had a following. I think of back then it was about 1500 followers, you know, and, and having, having, having a 15th of you, I didn't put any hashtags or anything like that up. It was just literally pure followers. It was a bit, it was quite a promiscuous photo of myself and I had a hundred people like it within a minute. And I, and the immediate gratification that I got from that was like, I had no problem left in the world. It was like I had, I, I sniffed cocaine. You know, it was like, oh my gosh, my, my dopamine levels, my, everything was like, oh, and I, I thought, geez, Louise, Liam, this, this is not healthy. You, you need help, my friend. And, and that's what propelled me to getting a psychologist because, because I thought, shoot, I can't be relying on this tool that is so unforgiving and so, uh, hit and miss. You know, it's it's down to who's online at the time <laughs> to 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 liking my photo. Um, yeah, so I gave it up. I'm 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 very thankful that you share this because what you said with this instant gratification. Yes, on the one hand, it's this instant gratification, but on the other hand, it's this judging yourself and comparing your life to others. Um, that, and then you do it before you go to sleep, right? Instead of journaling. And then you go, go in bed with this feeling very lonely and boring and, and not having this amazing life. And when you wake up, you're also checking your phone and you know, you're yeah. not being, it's, it's a lack of presence in, yeah, definitely. in your life. And, and by leaving social media and I still have my Facebook and actually recently I had to reinstall my Instagram too, because I wanted to get a couple of photos off of there. Um, and, and unfortunately with Instagram's settings, you have to leave it active for a week before you can take it down again. And so I thought, ah, oh, let's see what's going on in my social. And you know what, within, within literally five minutes, I had that anxiety feeling come up and I had that, I had that feeling again of FOMO, fear of missing out and judging other people's life. And I thought, my gosh, you know, like this is just, It, it's definitely not healthy for me to be on that app, you know, and, and some people may say, well, you just got to get yourself into a stronger headspace. I seriously challenge anyone to get themselves into a strong enough headspace where they don't actually give a shit about what other people think of them. Because I, I, I think those people, you know, are psychopaths. <laughs> or <laughs> well, they fall on a spectrum of some description because we all do. Uh, well, I know for myself and a lot of my friends, we all have certain insecurities. Um, yeah. 
you mentioned already that uh, you're a ballroom, ballroom dancer. Yes. And with dancing, I think it's very, very funny that like you take uh, three steps forward, two steps back, <laughs> some on the side. And a bit of Is a cha-cha-cha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and actually it looks good then. Yeah. Um, but uh, did you, did you learn anything from ballroom dancing when it comes to adapting to circumstances and leading or, or giving the lead to somebody else? Is there anything that you, you really learned from it? Yeah, I learned to respect women from a very young age. Um, you know, it was one of the greatest things that I think uh, uh, you can do for your child growing up is teaching them how to dance with other people. Because making physical connection with other people in a non-sexual way, but it's still quite intimate and close, is some of the best ways of being able to get comfortable with yourself and comfortable with other people. Um, and so, you know, I was always, I was all, because my dance, you know, the woman has to put in so much work to being beautiful with their makeup and their hair and their dresses and stuff. I was always the first person to get out of the car and to take their clothes and everything like that and, and walk everything in because I just literally had to put on a tail suit and a bit of bronzer and a bit of gel in my hair, you know, like it's so easy. Um, so so that's the first thing. It taught me how to respect women, but in general, it just taught me how to respect people. It taught me how to, it taught me how to have a good posture in life. And, and, mm. and it started physically because posture naturally is physically. But now that I look at it or growing, you know, growing older, I, cause I'm so old, um, growing, you know, getting older, I, I definitely know that having a strong physical posture has actually helped me mentally. Because it, I stand tall, you know, and, and I stand proud of who I am. Um, and I don't, I don't hunch and I don't slouch and I don't lower myself to people's expectations and I don't lower myself to people's standards. Um, I hold myself at my own standard. And, and that is, is, and that's from my first ever coach saying, you know, Liam, you might be five foot 10, but on that floor, I want you to be six foot two. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, yep, okay, thanks, June. <laughs> um, and you know, it's very true. You know, if you, if you hold yourself in, in, in an esteem and be proud of yourself, then, then, and, that, and that's what ballroom dancing taught me. It taught me, it taught me to, about myself a lot. It taught me to, it taught me a lot about sensuality. It taught me a lot about my sexuality. It taught me a lot about, um, how I like to physically connect with other people. It taught me a lot about uh, energy exchange between myself and between me and other people. Uh, it taught me about the human body. Um, it taught me how to respect it um, through me not respecting it. <laughs> um, it taught me a lot. Boring dancing taught me a lot. Yeah. I have three last questions, Liam. Mm. The first of the three ones is, what is your biggest fear? Fear of dying alone. Mm. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say, and when I say fear of dying alone, I mean fear of never, because I'm single at the moment, fear of never having that spark again with mm. someone you know that that intoxicating loving spark um 
I think that is, that is one of my biggest fears. Um, you know, I think, I think the other fear is, is being on my deathbed and, and, and not being happy with what I've done in the, in the world. And, and so that drives me to, to make sure that I'm fulfilling myself at any point of time and not doing it for other people, but always doing it for myself and making sure that if I choose to do something for somebody else, I'm doing it for myself. That's what, mm. so that's how I try and alleviate that, that fear, I guess. But I would say those two. That, that's so, um, that's so, um, um, responds to me or, or resonate, that so resonates with me because this, this fear of regret and this fear of dying alone in the sense of, we see so many opportunities that we have out there and we also see it um, like what we said before on social media and gives you sometimes a vision how it could be. And then you're like, but my life isn't that way. Yeah. So I, I really resonate with this. Mm. Yeah. Um, there is uh, the second uh, question. What are you currently doing that you still don't know how it will turn out? Oh, quite a bit my job um my job is definitely something that i'm currently doing that i don't know how it's going to turn out and that's because i created it um i work for a skincare company and we are in a massive growth phase and it's so random but so exciting and so <laughs> undefined you know like i've managed to find something in my life that that is a that is work that i love so it doesn't feel like work um what else am I doing my dancing you know like that has that has taken a side step at the at the moment um and and I recently had a phone call with a very trusted psychic of my friends and she said in six years time Liam she didn't know anything about my life and I truly honestly mean that anything about my life she said in six years time Liam first she she questioned me and she's like are you are you a performer and I was like yes and she said are you are you a dancer and I said yes she said do you sing and I said oh in the shower but <laughs> not professionally and she said okay well in six years time you're going to be given an opportunity and you could do it now but it's it, it's better then and it's going to come along and you're going to take it and it's going to mean that you're going to be on stage performing again Liam because you truly need to be doing this in your life And, and, and that is, that is exactly it. You know, like I, I, I feel like those unknowns are things that I need to be doing in my life because that's my gift to give. Mm. And, and they are very much, I don't know what's happening. I don't know when, and I don't, I don't know where, you know? Yeah. Um, The, the last thing is, is a lesser question, but a um, thing I want to ask you for. I have a book in my hand where I wrote quotes down that really have a meaning for me. And I will flip through the pages and you will just say, stop at a certain page mm -hmm. and we will find a quote together. And what I want you to is that you just comment with the first thing that comes up when you listen to this quote, okay? So sure. I'll flip through the pages and you say stop. Okay. Stop. Do you want to go left or right? Left. 
And there is three quotes on the left side. Do you want to have one, two, or three? Oh, I'll go with the middle. Two. Okay. The, so the quote is from Paolo Coelho. Mm -hmm. Don't waste words on people who deserve your silence. Sometimes the most powerful thing you can say is nothing at all. Oh, <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. The power of silence is so effective, especially when you are overwhelmed and you don't know how to respond. Um, so that's the second part of the question. Ballroom dancing also taught me that. In fact, the Pasa Doble taught me that. Silence is key. Uh, it is as powerful as noise, uh, if not more so. Uh, the first part of the question, don't pay mind to, or the quote, it is so true. And we spend so much time. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I used to be a classic example of chasing those that did not want to be chased. And, and what that meant though, is that I was actually neglecting my friends, the people around me who were actively giving me love. I was wasting all of that energy on other people who, who didn't want it. Mm. And, and I think the moment that you can realize, oh, they don't want my energy. I'm going to start giving it to a, either someone else who deserves it and wants it, or in fact, I'm going to just redirect it at myself the paradigm starts to shift and you start to realize, oh my God, you know, you, you, you start to, the, the, the world opens up for actually what is good. You're no longer focusing on what is, is the negative. So I love that quote. That quote is spot on for how I run my life now. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today, Liam. Ah, oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me. This has been beautiful. If you like this podcast, please follow me on Facebook at Podcast Into The Unknown or on Instagram into underscore the underscore unknown underscore podcast. You can listen to this podcast on www.intotheunknown.at, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from.